Welcome to this edition of Back to Basics with Pastor Brian Broderson. You know, the beautiful thing about these prophecies is, first of all, they just give us tons of encouragement because they remind us, you know, God actually really is in control of history. God's the one who's orchestrating all of this. And it's all going to come down just like he said it's going to come down because we already the first part of the prophecy happened exactly like he said it would today on back to basics pastor brian continues his study through the books of the old testament prophets join us as pastor brian concludes his teaching on daniel chapter 9 Now, here's Pastor Brian. You're not supposed to be depressed when you're serving the king as the cupbearer. So the king notices that Nehemiah, he asks him why he's feeling the way he is. And and Nehemiah says, this is, you know, how else can I feel when I know that the the city of my my ancestors is lying in rubble? And the king says, well, what, what do you want to do? And Nehemiah says, I want to go. I want to restore it. I want to build it. And so Artaxerxes allows him to go. And so that would be the point of the decree that's given. So from this point until, what's the next thing? Until the anointed one, until the Messiah, the prince, will be these two groupings, 49 years and then the 434 or 400, total 483 years. It'll be 483 years from that command until the coming of the anointed one. Now, this decree is given in the 20th year of the reign of Artaxerxes. And the 20th year of the reign of Artaxerxes would put you in the year 445 B.C., and some have even calculated the month because it's the, it's the month Nisan. And so Nisan corresponds to our March and April. So do you remember the date 14th of Nisan? The 14th of Nisan is the Passover. And so if we know anything about Passover, we know it always happens in the spring, right? It always happens. It's somewhere around Easter. Sometimes the Passover and Easter land on the same day. Sometimes they don't. But the Passover can be in March, it can be in April. So we know the, the month was April or May, or uh, March or April as we know it, and the year is 445 BC. Now, if you calculate from that date, 483 years out, using our Roman calendar of 365 days a year, you end up at a date of like 39 AD. So you've just missed Jesus by about 10 years. But if you calculate by a Babylonian year of 360 days, you end up in 30 or 32 AD, right smack at the time when Jesus was 
not only ministering, but right about the time of his crucifixion. Now, there's a man named, um, from back, back in the late 1800s, his name was Sir Robert Anderson. And he was the head of the Scotland Yard. So he was, you know, uh, a pretty sharp guy, a Sherlock Holmes kind of a guy. And he was very much into this prop, very much into the book of Daniel. Love the book of Daniel. And a very, very bright, bright guy. So he did all of this research, went back and searched historical records and all of that. So he really came up with the four, uh, March, I, I think he even had a date, March 14th, 445 BC. He came up with that date and then went out 360 uh, day years to April 6th, I think it's April 6th, 32 AD, if my memory serves me right. But also he broke it down into numbers. So it would be 173,880 days from the decree of Artaxerxes that would take you to April 6th, 32 AD, which would be the day, uh, according to those calculations, that Jesus entered Jerusalem in in the uh, triumphal entry. Now, look what it says is, is going to transpire. It says, the anointed one, the ruler, or the Messiah, the prince, however we want to read it, comes, until he comes, there's going to be, let's just add these two together, 483 years, or 69 seven-year periods. And then he says this, he says, it will be, rebuilt with streets and a trench, but in times of trouble. So that's why it seems that the first 49 years are having to do with the actual building again of Jerusalem. And we know from the story of Nehemiah that Nehemiah rebuilt the city of Jerusalem and had to simultaneously, as they're building the wall, they had to fight off the, the enemy that were trying to prevent them from rebuilding the wall. So that happens during Nehemiah's time. But then after the 62 seven-year periods, the anointed one will be put to death. So this, again, I think the New King James says, will be cut off. Uh, but the Hebrew word is is a word that is used often in a context of of putting somebody to death or executing somebody. And so I think the translators here, they translated it right, will be put to death. The anointed one, the Messiah, will be put to death, but not for himself. I mean, who, who does this sound like? It sounds like Jesus, right? So after the, the 483 years, if we go from March 14th, 445 BC to April 632 AD, Jesus is rejected. The anointed one, he's put to death, but not for himself. He's put to death for us. He's put to death for our sin. And then it says this, the people of the ruler who will come will destroy the city and the sanctuary. The end will come like a flood 
War will continue until the end and desolations have been decreed. So one thing about this prophecy that the ancient Jews understood but didn't want to fully embrace was that the Messiah had to come before the destruction of the temple because that's what the prophecy says. So what they did is they just said, well, that's not the Messiah. That's a different anointed one that's being talked about there. And some liberal Christian theologians said the same thing. So this this prophecy puts the the coming of the Messiah before the destruction of the second temple. So that means the Messiah had to come before 70 AD. So for every Jewish person today looking for the Messiah, they need to look back to before the temple was destroyed, to you know, 37 years before the temple was destroyed. So here you have, you have the, uh, the anointed one who is the ruler or the prince, but then you have the people of the ruler who will come. So we know historically who the people were. The people were the Roman people. But now we're talking about a ruler who is yet to come. So the reference isn't to the the present ruling power like the Roman emperor, for example, but it's pointing forward. So there's a ruler who is to come and the way we can identify the ruler is that his people destroyed the city and the sanctuary. So this is why we say that the ruler here is the person we commonly call the Antichrist. That's my understanding. I think it's the right understanding. Some people would not necessarily agree, but I think it's the best way to understand the passage. If you take all the other possible ways to interpret it or the ways other people have interpreted it, it it doesn't make any sense. It never lands on anything. It never gives you anything specific. It's just, you know, it just doesn't really say anything. I mean, this, the fact that, Daniel prayed in light of the 70 years and Gabriel comes to tell him something, I would think that he tells him something that is significant. I would think that he tells him something that you would be able to go, oh, that's what he told you. Not like, oh, I don't know what he said. He just kind of said this and these dates over here and I'm not sure what's going to happen. Some (laughs) theologians treat it like that. I think that's a bad way to understand. Stand the passage, and it's a bad way to interpret the Bible. So the people of the ruler who will come will destroy the city and the sanctuary, and then the end, it's going to be a flood. War will continue until the end. Desolations have been decreed. So after the destruction of the temple, Israel is dispersed throughout the nations and live in a constant state of unrest and uncertainty and suffering and, and all of those things. That, that's been the history of the people. But now, he, so he is referring to 
the ruler of the people. He will confirm a covenant with the many for one seven. So here's the last seven. So some people wonder, where do we get the idea that there's a seven-year final period? This is where we get the idea. And the book of Revelation and Daniel as well divide it into 1,260 days, which is three and a half years. It's divided in different ways, but it's divided up into, into two, three and a half year periods. But the total is is seven years. So he will confirm a covenant with many for one seven, for this final, the 70th seven. And in the middle of the seven, so halfway through, three and a half years, he will put an end to sacrifice and offering. And at the temple, he will set up an abomination that causes desolation until the end that is decreed is poured out on them. So you have 69 sevens and then you have now 2,000 years of history in the gap and the 70th seven hasn't yet come. So we are living in this parenthetical time in a sense that isn't even acknowledged in the text. But we see this oftentimes in prophecy. We see that the the prophecy will give you the near and the future fulfillment side by side. And you won't realize that there is a gap of time between the fulfillment. Here's, Here's an example. Isaiah 61 the passage, that famous passage, Jesus quotes it in the synagogue in in Nazareth, recorded in Luke chapter four. He says, the spirit of the Lord is upon me. Uh, The Lord has anointed me to bring the gospel to the poor, sight to the blind, deliverance for the captives, and to declare the acceptable year of the Lord. And Isaiah says, the day of the vengeance of our God. When Jesus quotes it in the synagogue, he stops at the acceptable year of the Lord. He doesn't continue on with the prophecy. And so when you go back to Isaiah, you have the delivering of the captives, the opening of the eyes, the giving the sight to the blind, and the acceptable year of the Lord gap. The day of the vengeance of our God. So my point is just to show you that this kind of thing, it, it, it's common in scripture, it happens. And this is a place where it's happened, where nobody at this time knew that the 70th seven-year period would not follow immediately after the 69, but it would actually follow at least 2,000 years later. But that's, that's, what, that's what we have here. So, so this is why, I think I was saying this and then I got distracted, but this is, this is why I believe that 
the future ruler will be connected to the ancient Roman Empire. That is a revived Roman Empire. This is why I do not believe that the Islamic world is going to be the ones to fulfill these prophecies. This is why I don't believe that China is going to take over the world, although it seems like they easily could if they decided to mobilize their millions and millions and millions of men army. Um, But the scripture forces us back to Israel and back to Jerusalem. And where everybody else might be looking all over and wondering what's happening and what's going to go on with this group and these people, what we can know is that the culmination of history is going to revolve around events, not just in the Middle East, but events that, that deal directly with the Jewish nation. And notice that this, the ruler, who is the, the ruler of the people who destroyed the city and the sanctuary, notice what he's going to do. He's going to confirm the covenant with the people of Israel for one week, the seven-year period, or one-seven, and in the midst of it, he's going to break it. So three and a half years in, he's going to break it. And this is then going to, he's going to set up the abomination of desolation. So remember when we looked at uh, 2 Thessalonians, where Paul talks about the, um, the man of sin, the son of perdition, going into the temple of God, uh, claiming that he himself is God. And we know in Revelation 13 that there's actually two people that will be working in unison together. One is called the beast and one is called the false prophet. And the false prophet will be the one to set the image up in the temple and command that everybody in the world worship the image of the beast. So these things are all related. They're all connected. This is just a kind of a, a broader look at it. But one last thing. Um, he will set up an abomination that causes desolation. Now, remember we talked about Antiochus Epiphanes, that, that um, Seleucid ruler from the north who came and he, he desecrated the temple and he set up an idol and, you know, he, he did all of this. And we talked about how he is a, he's a, a picture, like a foreshadowing of the Antichrist. Um, he did that, but there was no, during the Roman time, there wasn't anything like that. Antiochus Epiphanes was the only one who did that on that level. During the Roman time, nobody did that on that level. They destroyed the temple. They, they tore it down. But, um, the, the reason I'm saying this is because, Again, some people will argue, well, the abomination of desolation, that already took place. It took place back, some would say it took place with Antiochus Epiphany, so we don't even have to think beyond that. Some would say, well, it happened in the Roman period. But Jesus tells us, when he's asked the question by his followers, in Matthew 24, when they ask him this question, when they're looking at the, the temple, remember, they're looking at the stones, they're marveling at the magnificence of the temple, And 
And Jesus says, you know, you're marveling at this, but I'm going to tell you that not one stone is going to be left on the other. Every single one of these stones is going to be taken down. And they were amazed at that. And they were wondering, Lord, when? And so they asked him this question, what will be the sign of these things and of your coming and the end of the age? And so he answers both questions. He tells them what's going to what it's going to look like when the the temple is dismantled. And he also tells them what it's going to look like at the end of the age when he comes. And then he tells them that at the end of the age, it's the abomination of desolation spoken of by Daniel the prophet that will give them the signal that everything is about to wind down. So... Jesus saw the abomination of desolation as not in his generation, but beyond him and at the end of time. So that is the great 77 prophecy of Daniel. And, you know, the beautiful thing about these prophecies is First of all, they just give us tons of encouragement because they remind us, you know, God actually really is in control of history. God's the one who's orchestrating all of this. And it's all going to come down just like he said it's going to come down because we already see the first part of the prophecy happened exactly like he said it would. 483 years after the decree from Artaxerxes to Nehemiah, the Messiah came. And he was put to death, but not for himself. So that happened. And as surely as that happened, and the people of the prince who is to come destroyed the city and the sanctuary, as sure as that happened, we can also have confidence that the rest of the story is going to unfold exactly like the Lord said it would. So for me, it just comforts me. It encourages me. When I think of the madness in the world Sometimes I just go read Zechariah chapter 10 through 12. I'm like, okay, good reminder. This is, this is where it's going. Or you just keep your meditation in the book of Revelation. So it, it's a comfort to us. It's a reminder of where history is actually headed. And, man, I think it's still a great conversation piece. And a great tool, if we use it wisely, to speak to people about what in the world is going on on planet Earth and about what is ahead for planet Earth. Say, hey, did you ever hear any of these Bible prophecies? And, you know, we can take them to these passages and we can show them from all of these centuries earlier, this is, this is what the scripture said will happen. So it's a, it's a great tool to strike up conversations that can lead to opportunities to share the gospel with folks. So let's take advantage of it. January, Back to Basics Radio is offering a book titled 
40 Days of Grace by Paul David Tripp. For many, the new year brings with it new resolutions for change and the prospect for achieving previously unattained goals. But when the routines of life resume, resolutions rarely last beyond even the first few months of the year. The intent of becoming a better version of ourselves usually ends in failure. But if you're a Christian, you have the ultimate hope. Grace has the power to do what nothing else, not even resolutions, can do. Grace has the power to rescue you from you. Grace has the power to restore you to what God created you to be. Only God's grace has the power to produce lasting change within your life. In his book, 40 Days of Grace, Paul David Tripp provides powerful vignettes on the transforming power of God's grace. That is, the grace of God in the person of Jesus, who alone produces authentic, lasting change. This year, rather than resolutions, learn deeply about the transforming power of the grace of God. The book, 40 Days of Grace by Paul David Tripp, is our gift to say thank you for your donation to Back to Basics. So we encourage you to call us right now at 1-800-733-6443 or visit us online at backtobasicsradio.com. We'd also like to remind you that all of our other resources are waiting for you at backtobasicsradio.com or by calling our request line at 1-800-733-6443. That's 1-800-733-6443. Our desire is to encourage you in your daily walk with God. We'll continue tomorrow with more valuable insights from Pastor Brian as we study together in the book of Daniel. Back to Basics is the preaching and teaching ministry of Calvary Chapel, Costa Mesa, California.